0: Listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. By the way, as you're jumping on, share the broadcast, this is a good one. Uh, although controversial, it might be a little controversial. Some people might get offended. I don't know. It might turn into a rant. We're going to see what happens today. I'm not sure. Uh, but we're going to go over these four types of Pentecostals that I've encountered, and I'm sure you have too, and then we're going to uh, break it down scripturally, and, and then we're going to talk about what type of Pentecostal should I be. And um, I guess I'm just kind of uh, taking it for granted that uh we understand that we should be pentecostal and experience um you know i realize there might be people that watch this broadcast or listen uh to this to this uh, on podcast format that may not be pentecostal look my wife is back one day back and she's flirting with me on the broadcast flirting in the comments love you carolyn hey sister sherry what an awesome uh testimony Sister Sherry, and I, 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 I talked to Brother Herb at the birthday. It was your first 21-day fast, but you got testimonies after you went back for uh, a checkup at the hospital. I was very, very excited to hear that. Um, I kind of am just teaching this from an understanding that you might already understand we're supposed to be Pentecostals. If not, let me give you a little beginning portion here just very shortly before we jump in. There's nothing in the Bible anywhere, anywhere that teaches that the Pentecostal experience and manifestations uh, have come to an end. So if you, if you have um, ever encountered someone that, that says uh, those things died off with the last apostle, it's called cessationism. It's the belief that the Holy Spirit ceased in his manifestations the way he was moving during the time of Christ and the apostles and the early church he ceased in that style of manifestation when the last original apostle died which would have been the apostle John um, on the Isle of Patmos and of course he was let go but uh, I don't know how you get around the apostle Paul but let's just say the apostle Paul's death but that that kind of faded out and now that we have the full canon of scripture and now that we have the church established that those things are are no longer necessary which is totally false the bible doesn't teach it anywhere even in 1 corinthians 13 where the bible says uh you know tongues will cease and prophecy will cease and all these things it doesn't mean on the earth it means that when we get to heaven those things will no longer be necessary you won't need tongues in heaven You won't need prophecy in heaven. You won't need the working of miracles in heaven. And so it's not talking about now, it's talking about when we see God face to face. And so there's nowhere, there's even people that were hardcore cessationists, that were scholars like Dr. Jack Deere, who read through the Bible finally with an open mind and said, you know what? He wasn't, by the way, Dr. Jack Deere was not just a cessationist. He was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, Professor Emeritus and was teaching, I believe, New Testament and finally realized that he was doing what he told his students never to do, which is to read the Bible with uh, prearranged ideas before you go in. And so he did it with an open mind, got to the end. The Lord spoke to him. He showed him, gave him revelation of scripture that he, for years, had just been believing what other people told him rather than what the Bible actually said. And obviously he became, uh, his book is called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, by the way. And obviously became spirit-filled and started to teach on spiritual warfare and all kinds of stuff. Morning, Britt. And uh, so there's nowhere in the Bible that teaches that this experience, these manifestations come to an end. Uh, And so I believe that we should still seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit, every Christian, it's God's desire. As you can see in the narrative of the book of Acts, it was God's desire for every believer. Uh, and so that's, that's why they pursued it. That's why every group of new believers pursued it and, so, and, and received it. And so um, I believe we should do the same today. And of course, I'm teaching this today with that understanding that you realize we should be uh, spirit-filled believers that we should believe in the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of God, miracles, all of those things, and expect them to happen. And so I want to deal with four different types of Pentecostals today and, uh, and what the Bible says about it. And I'm sure you've encountered these as well. And then I'm going to talk to you, obviously, about which one we should be, which type we should be. And so um, if you haven't shared it, please do. The first one that I want to jump into today is what I would probably call the denominational Pentecostal. Uh, the denominational Pentecostal. Or the Pentecostal by name. That, that's kind of how I'd refer to that. Because it's what I've seen. And um, so if you want to put it in the comments. Number one. The denominational Pentecostal. Or number one. The Pentecostal by name. <laughs> you say, why do you say by name? Well, because after having Uh, Now, I traveled my whole life. I've traveled with my father and mother, who are evangelists, um, since I was born. But now I've been traveling um, and ministering full-time for 20 years. And uh, oh, little Lucy said, hey, that's Ted. I'm his buddy. That's right. I love you, Lucy. Lucy is my buddy. Um, I've traveled... I would guess to probably over a thousand churches. It has to be at this point, 40 years of my life, over a thousand churches. I don't know the exact number, but many, many, many churches. And um, one, the, fir- the first type of Pentecostal I want to talk about is denominational Pentecostals, Pentecostal by name. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, there are whole denominations of churches that are Pentecostal denominations. We could name some. Uh, the Assemblies of God, I believe that's the largest Pentecostal denomination in the world, the assemblies of God. The Church of God, another Pentecostal denomination. The United Pentecostal Church, UPC, another Pentecostal denomination. Um, the IPHC, the International Pentecostal Holiness Church, another Pentecostal denomination. Uh, you know, free there's all kinds there's all kinds of, of Pentecostal denominations. And, and the people that go to those churches um, are Pentecostal in that they are cool with the doctrine, meaning that they attend that church. They know it's a Pentecostal denomination. You know, they're, they're okay hearing all that teaching, divine healing, speaking in tongues, all that. On paper, they believe those things. On paper, they've got no... It's not like they're going there and, I had no idea this was a Pentecostal church. Um... Though some may be that way, which I'll talk about in a minute. But, you know, the people that have gone there for years and they understand it, they understand that's what they are. They're they're part of a Pentecostal denomination. (laughs) I feel like some of them start loving the denomination more than they do the Lord. That's another broadcast altogether. But we're going to call this first group denominational Pentecostals. The reason I say that, and I'm not picking on any denomination at all, because this happens in all Pentecostal denominations. Though you're a part of that group, that doesn't mean that you are practicing uh, the disciplines or seeing the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you guys have been there and seen that. I know for sure that Britt has, and Jake at one time, I'm sure many others have, that you have gone to a church that's part of a Pentecostal denomination, but you wouldn't know, I mean, if no one told you what type of church it was there would be nothing in the service that ever let you know that that was a Pentecostal church. There is no speaking in tongues. There is no laying hands on the sick. There are no prophecies given. There is no manifestation of the Holy Ghost. There there are no gifts of the Spirit in manifestation. None of the things that would define Pentecostalism are even in the church. And many times, sadly, you won't even hear those preachers preach messages on those types of things. Maybe they've kind of slid towards seeker sensitivity and you'll not hear those preachers uh, preach on tongues or preach on sin or preach on uh, holiness or preach on uh, the gifts of the spirit or miracles. You just won't hear it. There's always an encouraging word and but it's very surface level. So as a result, the leaders have deviated from Pentecostal doctrine. They've deviated from Pentecostal practice. And so I call them Pentecostals by name because though they're in a denomination that calls itself Pentecostal, there's no evidence that they are even Pentecostal at all. And maybe you've been to one of those churches. Like, man, I went to this church expecting it to be a Holy Ghost church. But I attended there for a few months, and there was not one thing that happened that was Pentecostal in nature at all. That's a sad thing, but it happens all over America and all over the world, that you've got these places that by name, they're Pentecostal, and they call themselves spirit-filled churches. But there's no spirit manifestation. There's no evidence of God's spirit moving. Many churches don't even give altar calls anymore. So you can say, well, the, the Spirit is moving in the fact that people get saved. Yeah, but what about if people aren't even giving opportunity to be saved? And I know the Bible says no man can be saved unless the Spirit of God draws him, but what about when people aren't even being saved? You say, well, that, is that really happening in churches? Well, it was happening so often in the Pentecostal churches in Canada that, as I've told you before, they had to start an initiative uh, from the headquarters of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada to see what was going on in their local churches. So yes, it is happening. It is absolutely happening. So I call this first group Pentecostals by name or denominational Pentecostals because they're happy to go to a church with that on the sign. But in the services, there's nothing happening that would even, that would even give you a clue. Now, I am I, I do believe, may, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I do believe that we're kind of living in a generation now where when people come into a church, unless they grew up in church and unless they were hardcore part of a denomination with their family, people don't necessarily care what denomination a church is. Meaning, they're not, you know, let's say you move to town. Most people, if they're looking for church, They're not Googling like uh, nearest Assemblies of God church, unless they hardcore grew up in that denomination and was just driven into them. But I think people go to a church and see, you know, do I enjoy going here? You know, and they don't know. They don't necessarily know what the church is. Maybe they went to the church's About Us page. Well, the problem with that is what I've seen just by looking myself, many of these churches, even on their About Us page of the website, it's a very, very stripped down, um, kind of open to everyone's style about us. Many of them aren't even giving their doctrinal stance, uh, anymore on their about us page, you know, where they stand on the baptism of the Holy spirit, divine healing, uh, any of those things. And it's, you know, what does that mean? Um, uh, But Chris said, many mistake worship style in place of actual Pentecostal. That's exactly right, Chris. Um, I agree with that. It's like people think because you have charismatic worship, that means you're a Pentecostal church. Well, and and let let me give this example. I'm not by any means picking on him or his church because I've been there. They're doing an excellent job. People are being saved. I get all that. I'm not picking on them. But let me give you an example of what I mean. Like, for example, Elevation Church. Elevation Church um, doesn't necessarily call themselves a Pentecostal church. Now, he's mentioned that he has been filled with the Spirit, that he does speak in tongues. But you're not going to see those manifestations at that church on a Sunday morning service. You know, you're not going to necessarily see hands being laid on anybody, a word in tongues and interpretation, the gifts of the spirit and manifestation. Um, Now, I'm I'm not picking on the church. I'm just saying they don't claim to be that, to my knowledge. They don't have that going on in their churches, to my knowledge, but their worship is extremely uh, charismatic in nature. Uh, They'll sing about the Holy Ghost. They'll sing about Pentecostal fire. I think that's an Elevation song, isn't it? The Pentecostal fire flows in my veins too. Can everything ever stop you? Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, all these different, the lyrics are Pentecostal. You know, they're very charismatic in their appeal. All these different things. And what Chris said is absolutely true. That many of these churches, they will substitute charismatic Pentecostal worship for actual manifestations of the Holy spirit. Again, I'm not picking on pastor Stephen. Love him. I love his church. Appreciate what he's doing. Um, I'm just using that as an example. So you, you might have, um, you might have that where people are saying, yeah, well, my church is very charismatic in their worship. Okay. That's wonderful. But is the pastor preaching the Pentecostal doctrines of the Bible? Is he practicing? Is the church, does he lay hands on the sick? Does he speak in tongues? Do, do you see a word in tongues and interpretation given? Do you see prophecy go forth? Do you see miracles? Are are these types of things, uh, or or even are you attempting that? You know, uh, because there's it's one thing to just say, well, I believe it exists, because then you get into the group of like the the John Piper style Baptists, where not John MacArthur but John Piper. Where John MacArthur would say, that stuff's gone. That stuff does not exist anymore. Uh, And he'd make fun of it openly and has, you know, with his strange fire conference and everything. But John Piper, on the other hand, is, is a little bit more open in his mindset where he says, you know, I believe it's still possible. I believe people can still be filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe people can still speak in tongues. I've even asked the Lord for it myself and have never seen it happen for me personally. So here here you've got a different aspect with John Piper where he might say, yeah, it's possible. God is sovereign. He can do what he wants. And I've asked him to have that experience, and I've never received it. So it's one thing to say it doesn't exist, but many people can fall into that category uh, where they say, well, yeah, of course it's possible. You know, of course it's, uh, yeah, of course God can do what he wants. I just, we've never seen it. Well, they've also, it's not that they've just never seen it. They're not pursuing it. They're not setting an atmosphere for it. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons for that is because, and this is why, by the way, if you want to know, this is kind of where I go into the rant part of this broadcast a little more. This is why I believe, and I've talked at length about it, that the seeker-sensitive church model is one of the most demonic things to ever hit the Western body of Christ, ever. Ever. I believe it. The seeker-sensitive church model is one of the most demonic things to ever hit the body of Christ. All of this, uh, this move away from uh, doctrinal preaching, a move away from any manifestations of the Holy Spirit, anything that would make a visitor uncomfortable. You know, we don't have, you know, we have 55-minute services, you know, we, we, we have, we want to get you in and out. You know, we, we make sure we don't bore you. We make sure we don't bother you. You know, it's like, why go at all? But then what's happened is, is that we have tailored and curated our church services in such a way that people that are in abject sin will be able to sit there and never feel uncomfortable and feel entertained and feel, but never feel the uh, the pr- the pressure of the Holy Spirit, the conviction to change, never feel the need to repent Never feel the need to uh, live for the Lord. And so it's all about entertainment. It's all about not making people uncomfortable. It's all about, you know, doing things with such excellence, quote unquote, because you can do things with excellence and still be Pentecostal. Uh, but, But I believe it's so demonic. It has stripped the spirit out of his own church. I've seen services where they are so scheduled in their service that the Holy Spirit couldn't move if he wanted to move. Couldn't move if he wanted to. They're so scheduled. I mean, down to the minute, from 10 to 10.05, from 10.05 to 10.07. I mean, that that detailed. And it's like, I'm sure the Holy Spirit's looking at that page thinking, when's my time to actually manifest my presence? We were in a service one time, and this is why I thank God for my dad. It's where I get a lot of the... The, the ornery spirit that I have. Because I saw this growing up my whole life. And I thank God that he's still like that today. Um, we were in a church service one time. And um, it wasn't... By the way, it wasn't even a Sunday morning service. Where maybe the church was filming for television or something like that. Even still. Don't, don't be ridiculous. You know. Just end your end your television broadcast, and let the people fix the show in post-production. It's like, stop doing that to me. And and there wasn't, by the way, and there wasn't multiple services. I want you to get this. So we're in this service. I wasn't preaching. My father was. And it was like a Tuesday night, not even a Sunday morning. It was like a Tuesday night of revival. And um, my dad's preaching. Holy Ghost is moving. And there's this lady on staff, sitting in the second row with poster boards that they had created for their, I don't know what for, but as my father is preaching on a Tuesday night, she is holding up signs to him like every 10 minutes, you know, 30 minutes remaining. No lie, no lie. And I'm looking over there thinking, this is not going to end well. This is going to be bad. And she's over there with her poster board signs. They didn't didn't even have enough faith for a digital clock. 30 minutes remaining. And then, you know, he keeps preaching. She takes one away. 20 minutes remaining. Like, for what reason? First of all, the church was in uh, Maine, which if you've ever been to Maine, there's nothing happening after 8 o'clock anyway. I pulled into a Burger King off the Holton exit one time at like 6 p.m., 6 p.m., and pulled through the drive-thru, and it was like an 18-year-old girl, and she looked at me with such surprise, no lie, and said to me, what are you still doing up? It was like 6 or 7 o'clock at night. Couldn't believe I was coming through the drive-thru. It's like, how early do you roll the carpet up in this town? And, and I'm just telling you, it's there was nowhere to go, and there was nothing to do, there was no other service, there was nothing else going on. Here's this lady, 20 minutes remaining. And I thought, my God, I could feel, I was feeling grieved in my spirit, and I wasn't even preaching. And the next time she held it up, I think it was 15 minutes remaining, my dad walked off the platform, walked up onto the, stepped up onto the chairs of the front row, grabbed the poster boards out of her hand, ripped them in half and threw them into the crowd, into the crowd. (laughs) And that's exactly what he should have done for those stupid signs. And of course, we've never been back to this church. Wouldn't go if they asked us because there were some other issues there that I won't get into that just total negligence. But can you imagine in a service, supposedly a Pentecostal charismatic church not a Sunday morning, which who cares if it even was a Sunday morning? You know, I'm, I'm so tired of this mindset of like, we got to get you out of here. We're not going to keep you too long. It's like, why? This is what's happening. The, the, the freaking world is going to hell in a handbasket. You've got Western culture completely being destroyed by people with an antichrist spirit. And you're worried about getting people out of church on time so they can get home to their pot roast. Who cares? Who cares? And it's like, I'm so sick of that stupid mindset. You know, that we, we got to get people out of here. Why have church at all? Got to get you in so we can get you out. It's like, what, what's the point? And so he throws the, he throws them in. We're not going back. That's stupid. On a Tuesday night, why would you do that? Now, look, I get it. If your church has multiple services and you got to be out by a certain time, I get it. I understand all that. But, but give me a break. Tuesday night, poster boards, stupid. Absolutely stupid. Just stay home if you don't want. Just do church online until Facebook tells you you can't do church anymore. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So they don't, it's exactly right, Frank. They don't want the presence and power of God. They don't even care to have the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I used to think, very naively, it's like, well, man, why, I wonder why they're not having it. But then I realized later, they're not having it because they don't care to have it. They don't want the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's too messy. It's, it's, too, uh, it's too unpredictable. They can't schedule it in on, on a, on a timesheet. You can't put it in the planning center because, you know, the Holy Spirit may not let you know ahead of time what he's going to do. And they don't want to deal with the mess or explanation or whatever it might be. And so this first group that you have, we're calling them denominational, Pentecostals, Pentecostals in name only. And let me read you what Paul prophesied to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Bible says, uh, understand this, I'll start with verse 1. In the last days there will be times of difficulty. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. So we have a lot of churches like that. They have an appearance of godliness, and they deny the power of God. They have an appearance of godliness, but they definitely deny the power of God. So what's Paul's... uh, Commanded Timothy when he sees those type of people, pray for them, try to get, go to lunch with them once a week, change their mind. No, avoid such people. How crazy is it that Paul lumped that in with all those other things? Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, and having a form of godliness, denying the power. He puts it in with all those other things. It's a, it's a wicked thing to deny the power of God and to not care whether or not the Holy Spirit manifests his presence and his power in your church. And so we have those types of Pentecostals that they don't even really care. They're going to a dead church and they don't even care. They don't even know. That's the sad thing is because you got some people that are growing up in churches like that and they don't even know any better. They don't even know. And so they grow up thinking that's what church is. And you wonder, how come so many young people are leaving the church by the time they're old enough to make their own decisions? It's because they were raised in churches that have no power, no anointing. It's, it's basically a social club. Because it's not even like you can go there for uh, the, the liturgy. Because literally, there's not even doctrine being preached. Many of them don't even have communion anymore. So it's not like you know at least they're benefiting from the liturgical services. There's not even liturgy. So what is it? It's it's a social club. You might as well um, not go, basically what it is. They've kicked God out of the church. You might as well spray paint Ichabod on the door. No keeping power. Absolutely, AJ. So that's the first type of Pentecostal, denominational Pentecostals. The second type that I want to discuss with you is the Pentecostals that are doctrinally off. Number two. Pentecostals with doctrinal problems. Pentecostals with doctrinal problems. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, there are certain Pentecostal groups that have some serious Pentecostal style errors in their doctrine. And they actually are defined... By those doctrinal errors, I'll give you an. I'll give you an example. I'll give you a few examples, actually. Um, there, there are well-known, those smaller, doctrinal gr- or Pentecostal groups that have doctrine that where they where they completely deny the Trinity. They deny the three-person Godhead. They deny it completely, and so there are Pentecostals that. Um, they believe that Jesus is all there is. There is no God the Father. There is no God the Holy Spirit. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. And um, they might be referred to as Jesus only uh, Pentecostals. Jesus only. Sometimes they're called oneness Pentecostals. But that's an error. That's an error. I've even spoke with some of them. I've actually sat down and, and had lunch with them. I'm, and I'm not saying that they're, you know, I'm not calling them heretics or anything like that. Uh, but they're off doctrinally. And um, for example, I've asked, they produce excellent music. Great anointing on their praise and worship. No question, AJ. You're exactly right. We play them on the broadcast. We, 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 play, we play them on the broadcast. So I, I've asked them multiple questions, Liz and Gina you know, sitting with their pastors at lunch. You know, I've asked, for example, um, when Stephen was being stoned in the book of Acts and the Bible says at the end of his life as as they're stoning him, the Bible says he sees into the heavens and Stephen says, I can see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. Now that's that's actual scripture. (laughs) I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Well, the answer they gave me was, uh, that doesn't mean there were two individuals. It just, when it says the right hand of God or the right hand of the father, that is a, 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 a how would they, how would they say it? That's, that's a, um, uh, that's a way to say that Jesus was standing in a place of power. The right hand symbolizes power. That was just a symbolization. Uh, Jesus was standing in a place of power. That's what, that's what he said he saw. I said, okay, well, what about when Jesus is being baptized uh, by John the Baptist? And the Bible says, and the heavens opened up, and a voice spoke and said, This is my beloved son. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like you keep bringing these things up, and there's like, Well, you know, Well, you know, the other question I had, I said, when Jesus went into the garden of Gethsemane and began to pray before his crucifixion, I said, um, who was he praying to when he said, Lord, let this cup pass from me, you know, but rather but if not, let not my will, but your will be done. I said, who was Jesus even praying to? And they said, this is a great point, brother, where you can see the two parts of Jesus. Yes, he was all God, but yes, he was all man. And what we're seeing here is his flesh, the flesh part of Jesus, praying to the spirit part of Jesus. <laughs> I thought, oh Lord, it's getting crazier and crazier around here. Um, how do you deal with Acts 10:38? How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost, and with power. That's all three found in one verse. (laughs) All three in one verse. You know, you you can keep going with this. I mean, you can see that there's serious doctrinal problems. Uh, I think it was Gina that made a great point. It's true. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In fact, that's such a deep theological point that, um, Martin Luther made an excellent, uh, quotation about, uh, when you study the Greek text of John chapter one, it actually, the way it's written proves that there were two individuals that were separate, that were being spoken of in John chapter one. And of course, later John tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. So Jesus, who is the word existed from the beginning with God, the Bible says. So, there're a lot of problems there the other the other issue that you uh that you may find in some of those churches doctrinally is that they don't believe that if you speak in tongues like if you don't speak in tongues you're not saved i mean they they believe that you will not go to heaven you're not truly saved unless you speak in tongues and that's they believe that they'll preach that they'll teach that you, you do not go to heaven. You're not saved unless you speak in tongues. You're not saved. So here's the, here's the part that's crazy about that. That's, that's really slanderous to the blood of Jesus without question. But you would have to then argue that even though at the end of the Gospel of John, where Jesus, after his resurrection comes to his apostles, his disciples, what does he say to them? Receive ye the Holy Ghost and breathes upon them. That was their conversion experience. That was their conversion experience. So you're telling me that after Jesus did that, they were all not saved until the day of Pentecost? Not true. In fact... When you go back to look, uh, all of those people, the 120, were believers already at the time of the day of Pentecost. If they weren't, they would not have been able to receive the Holy Spirit. That is what Jesus was teaching when he said, you can't put new wine into old wine skins. So, or they'd burst. So they couldn't even been qualified to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost unless they were already converted. I'll give you another example, Acts chapter 19. And the Bible said, Paul went to Ephesus and said, have you received the power of the Holy Ghost or have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we've not even heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. And so after having talked to them, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ At that point, they were saved, right? You're not baptized in the name of Jesus Christ if you're not saved. They were saved. But then Paul takes another action and lays his hands upon them, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, 12 men. So it's not that they weren't saved in that short little period of time, and if they already were, there would have been no need for Paul to lay hands on them. And you don't lay hands on people to get them saved. That's, that's not how salvation comes. We know that. So you've got some serious errors that uh, people are dealing with. Um, yeah, Chelsea, th- these will help you. So you've got some serious doctrinal errors that we're dealing with here. And a lot of them you'll f- find very legalistic churches. Women can't wear makeup. No jewelry. Long hair. Long skirts. Not that I'm for... Uh, being um, risque in my dress or anything like that. I mean, I don't think women should come to church dressed like they're going to a club. I do believe you should be modest, obviously, but uh, I'm talking about legalism to wear like no makeup. You know, you, a woman could never wear pants. That would be that would be completely heretical to have a woman wearing pants or jewelry or makeup. <laughs> as my grandfather Often said, and famously, if the barn needs painting, paint the barn. And I don't disagree. You're not going to hell because you're wearing makeup, and you're not any more holy because you didn't wear makeup. So, um, but there's there's issues. You'll find it. The other the other is, uh, there are Jesus name Pentecostals that they will only baptize you. In the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to make as big of a a deal over this because uh, though Jesus commanded them to uh, go into all the earth, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, you know, I'm sure that you've been, if you were baptized, that may have been how you were baptized. Baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, Um, which is fine. Now, there are others that will only baptize in the name of Jesus. But if you read the, the book of Acts, and if you read uh, the, the early church, that's what the apostles did, by the way. That's what the apostles did. If you study the Bible, the Bible tells us that the apostles baptized in the name of Jesus. So I, I wouldn't make such a, a big deal about that either way. Um, but again, they, it, I think it has more to do with what we talked about first, that they don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that there's Jesus only and that's all there is. And so, you know, there are some serious doctrinal errors there. Well, when you get into some of these things, it does get a little bit, it does get a little bit odd for people. You start to say, well, why are the denominations so small? Well, it's going to truly hinder your evangelism if you... And I'm gonna get into the third part, which is some of it overlaps here. It's gonna hinder your ability to win souls when first of all, you're extremely legalistic in a way that the Bible doesn't teach to be. Number two, your doctrine is not right. So what, you're, you're gonna start having people get saved, but then tell them they're not saved until they speak in tongues. And, and so, and I'm all for people, everyone speaking in tongues. I'm all for that, I'm Pentecostal to the core. But you're going to have an issue when you start um, defiling the blood of Jesus by saying that salvations did not take place because somebody didn't speak with tongues upon their conversion. I know plenty of people that had been saved that it, it, maybe it took a while till they understood it, till they got the revelation, till someone laid hands on them, until they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But it doesn't mean they weren't saved. So these types of things are going to hinder you. They're going to hinder you when you're doing what God's called you to do. And, you know, you don't want to ever find yourself changing the word of God to suit your denominational belief system. That's the other thing. Don't change the word of God to suit your denominational belief system. I've seen that happen with the first group that we've talked about. That, you know, because they were Pentecostal by denomination only, When when their denomination, for example, the Assemblies of God, which I grew up in the Assemblies of God, have their 16 fundamental truths that you can pick up, up, you know, they have pamphlets available, available. you can read them, you see them on their website, 16 fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God, Uh, divine healing is one of those, divine healing is one, but there are many Pentecostal Assemblies of God churches that no longer will say or preach that it's God's will to heal everybody, and they'll change what the Bible says based on their own personal experiences. Well, we prayed for Sister Martha, and she was a good woman, she was very faithful to the church, And but you know, she, and, and they'll change their theology based on an experience, and there are many of them that no longer will preach or teach that it's God's will for everyone to be healed. Same way that, that many of them won't teach it's God's will for everyone to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. So there's many that are changing their doctrine to suit their denominational belief systems. And so they become doctrinally off, like the second group. So first, denomination by name only, or Pentecostal by name only. Second, Pentecostals that are doctrinally off. But let's go to number three. The third group that I want to talk about is the Pentecostal slash charismatic group of people that simply just get weird. They just get weird. And you can just put weirdos if you want. to. They just get weird, man. And you say, well, what do you mean by weird? Well, I'll tell you a couple of things. Um, One thing that I'll, let me deal with this part first, because maybe this stems, maybe the other parts stem from this. Many of these people are so uh, spiritual that the Bible, what was given to us by the mouth of God, the inerrant, inspired, fully sufficient word of God is not enough for them anymore. The Bible is simply not enough for them anymore. And so they get super into uh, extra canonical writings, you know, stuff outside the Bible. They start doing deep, deep studies of the book of Enoch. They're discovering things that, that were hidden from us for so many years. They're, you know, you, you there's things that are unlocked as I've been studying the book of Enoch. I'm seeing things like I've never seen it. They'll start getting into the apocryphal New Testament. It's Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary, weird stuff. An inn that Paul stayed in had bedbugs, so he cursed them. I mean, just like weird stuff. They'll get into Jewish rabbinical writings that are outside of the Bible. They'll start getting into all these different things and starting, starting to read, you know, what, what did the, the, these are what the, the rabbis the, wrote and he, he found this in the archives and it's like, you know. Like you're, like you're in the, uh, and they're easily found Liz. You can find them online. You can, you know, you can find them in Barnes and Noble. They're not hard to find, but they get into all this other stuff. And they're like, you know, Oh, I've I've been, I've been deep. The Lord's been showing me stuff in the book of Enoch, which is filled with heresy, by the way, tons of reasons why the book of Enoch is nobody ever considered it scripture except what the Eastern Orthodox church of uh, Ethiopia, I think is the only one that ever considered it scripture. And there's tons, tons of stuff that they'll find. And then what ends up happening is you'll see, as someone put before people getting spooky instead of truly spiritual, you know, you start getting into all this, uh, man, they get super interested in demons. I'm just telling you, you watch people like this and they get super interested in the demonic How? I found the Lord revealed to me seven demon spirits that are over America right now, seven demon spirits. And I have the names for all seven of them. And I believe that we, it was revealed to me and we, there's something specific we need to do to begin to just tear these demons down out of the atmosphere over America. And they'll, they'll, they'll start listing, they'll have slides on their social media that first is the demon of, and then they'll, they'll start naming these names. Who knows where they got the names? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know if they'll like get Barnes and Noble. There's like a demon naming book next to the baby naming book. I don't know where they found the names, but they've got the names. And the Lord revealed, I was in prayer until late last night. And the Lord revealed to me that there are seven evil spirits that are led by one other evil spirit. And he's their leader. And they're his minions. And, and they're standing over the white house. Right now, I see 17 demons that are doing this to President Trump, who, by the way, is still the true president, and he was he's, he's the true president in a shadow government behind the scenes, but there's 17 demons in D.C. doing this, trying to keep him out of the White House. I've seen it. I know their names. The Bible is not enough for people anymore. What you can find in scripture is no longer enough for people. They feel like they, I don't know if they feel like they're going to build followers. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Again, too. the Bible does teach us that we should not despise prophecy. Don't quench the spirit. Um. <laughs> <that's> the... <laughs> oh. And I'm just telling you, there's there's they get weird. The Bible is no longer enough for them. They've got to find stuff outside the Bible. And again, the Bible tells us not to despise prophecy. And I agree. But the Bible also tells us that in the New Testament. Prophecy can be judged by those who hear it. It can be judged. If prophecy could not be judged, and let me tell you something, some of these quote-unquote prophets should be very, very happy that we can now judge prophecy in the New Testament versus the methods of the Old Testament where if you falsely prophesied, you were killed. Many of these New Testament quote-unquote prophets should be very thankful that after having falsely prophesied on their Facebook and Instagram, that we're not killing them, which is what they did in the Old Testament. But prophecy can be judged, and we know that. Whole lot of prophets, quote unquote. I, say, I only say quote unquote, not because I don't believe in prophets or prophecy, but because there's so many people calling themselves prophets now, that are totally off, totally off, that have said things that are, never came to pass and, and made specific claims with dates included that never came to pass, no apologies, no, no correction, nobody, I mean nothing, nothing and made national prophecies, nothing. Well, you better judge those things. You better know that's not a word from the Lord. And and I'll be honest with you, though I love prophecy and speaking in tongues, and I love prophets, true prophets, and I, I I receive from them. Some of these guys that call themselves prophets, they're hearing from the Lord more than Isaiah, more than the Apostle John. I mean, they're hearing from the Lord more than Agabus. I mean, they. they Every single morning when they wake up, I had another prophetic dream last night. I saw Hillary Clinton in, in like a, a, on a unicycle with, a, with two machine guns, but her bottom legs were like robot legs. They were like robot legs, and, and she was on the unicycle, but the robot legs were going so fast that they looked like they were just fluid. And she had, like the Terminator, two machine guns. And she was going right at President Trump, and she was shooting the machine guns, and I saw that Trump was in a shadow government, and he was already running the nation, but nobody knows that he is, and everything's already in his hand because he won the election, I'm telling you, and she was shooting these bullets on the unicycle with robot legs, and President Trump held up a shield of faith. And every bullet was quenched. I'm just telling you, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to deal with some of these things. And it's not like it's like, it's not like you've never heard of this stuff. You're seeing it on social media all the time. All the time. All the time. Now, the true prophets are saying what the Lord is saying. And by the way, you'll know a prophet that's truly a prophet because his ministry, I did, I, just, I did just come up with that right now, Pastor Kim. You'll know a true prophet by their ministry because you can see the ministry of a prophet from the Bible. And by the way, <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed that, Jeremy. My father has a series called Uh, The Ministry of a Prophet. And he has another one, The Understanding the Prophetic Anointing um, that you can get from his his, uh, website. And you can understand what a a prophet's ministry truly looks like, Old and New Testament. And I thank God for true prophets, but true prophets don't have to run around advertising everywhere. I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet. They'll just know. You'll know by the, the fruit of their ministry. You'll know it. You'll see it by how they operate, the things that take place in their ministry, that the word of the Lord that's in them comes to pass. And so you'll know it. They have to run around with a business card. You know, (laughs) it's like my uncle, my uncle Terry's a prophet. He doesn't have to run around telling everybody. You don't see him jump on it where it says, you know, prophet Terry Shuttlesworth. You know, it's not on all of his books. Prophet Terry Shuttlesworth, author, Prophet Terry Shuttlesworth. You can know by just following his ministry and what the Lord does through it and in it, the anointing of a prophet. My father stands in the office of a prophet. He doesn't have to run around, Prophet Ted Shuttlesworth. I'm a prophet. People just know it by following his ministry and seeing the fruit of the ministry. And so it always cracks me up when people have to have 2,500 business cards printed up and it has to be on every title. It's in all of their advertisements. And I'm not against, uh, sure. Look, if you want to do that, it's, it's, a even, it's okay if you do. Because it's not wrong to put evangelist so-and-so. It's not wrong to put pastor so-and-so. So it's not wrong to put prophet so-and-so. I'm not saying it's wrong to do it. But it feels like all these guys are just promoting the heck out of themselves. They want everybody to know who they are. I, listen, if you want to do that. But actually have the fruit to back it up. If you're going to do that, have the fruit to back it up. And don't be a weirdo. Don't be a weirdo. You know, if, let, me, let me just say this. If things that you are preaching and teaching on can't be found in the Bible, but you have to refer to extra-biblical, extra-canonical writings, then you shouldn't be preaching and teaching on it right? If you can't find those things in the scripture, if it's not something Jesus dealt with, if it's not something the apostles dealt with, if it's not something the Old Testament prophets dealt with, then like, where are you getting this stuff? Like, where are you even getting it? It's just weird. It's total weirdness. And we're seeing it all over the place. And the, the sad thing let me, let me just say this, the sad thing, yeah, just please put it in the comments today, don't be a weirdo, please, please, but the sad thing is um, that I see, Pentecostalism and charismatic church is such a large uh, grouping of people that it's like anyone weird, they just lump them in with pentecostal charismatics. It, that that's actually what happens. Sadly, that's what happens. So it's like if somebody's just weird doing weird stuff, then they get lumped in, oh, he must be one of those pentecostal charismatics. It's like, yeah, but you don't realize pentecostal pentecostal there there is actual pentecostal doctrine that defines pentecostalism. So it's it's not Don't just group every person in with me. You know, I saw a lady on television the other day with purple hair who's been to heaven more times than Jesus. And it's like every time she wakes up, she's been to heaven and has said stuff that's totally crazy, done stuff that's totally crazy, but people keep listening to her. It's like, dude, don't lump me in with her. That's not who I am. I'm not going to heaven every night, not leaving my body. So, not that you can't go to heaven, but it's like, dude, just listen to what they're saying. Weird. Not in the Bible. You know, everybody, everybody gets lumped into Pentecostal charismatic because they're weird. That's not what Pentecostal means. That's not what charismatic means. And so just because something's weird, you know, not everybody that claims to have a manifestation actually has one. Not everybody that... And here's what I guess people don't get. Christians are terrible about this. It's like when when I threw a demon possessed man out of the church a couple of weeks ago because he wouldn't stop strumming his acoustic guitar in the aisle. Came in off the street. There were people in the church like, well, I don't know why he why there wasn't more grace for that man. Because I cast him out. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, you have to be you have to want to be free. Not going to override your will. I've cast demons out of people. I just cast the man out of the service. And there's people sitting in the the pew. Well, I don't know why there wasn't more grace. Because I'm not putting up with that nonsense. So it's like, you know, you get all this. The the, the thing that people have in them is they've got this false compassion. And so they don't ever want to just understand things are wrong. You know. Just because you have a spandex outfit and a flag doesn't mean you have a prophetic ministry. (laughs) I'm going to say that again, slowly, for everybody that's listening. Just because you have a spandex outfit and a flag does not mean you have a prophetic ministry. Gemstones and gold dust. Feathers. It's like, give me a break. My uncle just told me a story. He was preaching in Alaska, and a man came into the back of the church with a backpack on, and he looked like he was, you know, looked nuts. And uh, so, you know, no ushers were moving. Could have been a gun in there. Could have been a a knife in there. Nobody knows. Here's this man in the back with a backpack looking demonized. And so my uncle just slowly walked back towards him while he was preaching just to keep an eye on him because no ushers were doing it. And the man reaches into his backpack. You know, my uncle was ready if he was going to, he said, I was close enough. Now I could have got to him if he pulled a gun or something out. And he, the man reaches into his backpack and pulls out a long eagle feather and starts waving it at my uncle like this while he's preaching his, his eagle feather. And my uncle looks at him and says, Oh, you're new. Aren't you? You're new to, you've never been in my services before. Have you? And the guy's like, no, like looking at him, like, no, no, I have And he's, he's got this feather. He says, so you don't know the rules. Do you, my uncle says to this guy, you don't know the rules. Do you? And now the guy's like (laughs) cut his feather thinking like the rules. (laughs) He said, Oh yeah, you don't know the rules. He goes, the rule in my services is if you come in with an eagle feather unless you have one for the whole class then you can't have one either. Did you bring eagle feathers for the whole class? (laughs) He said, no, no. He said, then put your eagle feather away and listen to me preach. Because if you don't have one for the whole class I can't let you have one. <laughs> the man puts the eagle feather. <laughs> people, the Bible tells us, comfort the feeble-minded. And so people, you know, I'm sure there'll be people like, well, he, what, what, what Brother Tiff didn't understand is that man was releasing the eagle's anointing. This is how nutty people are. I promise you, I've been there. I've traveled for 40 years of my life. I've been to church after church after church. And I'm telling you, I've been there. People don't get it. Well, Brother Tiff, why would you ever discourage that man from releasing the eagle's anointing? The Bible says that we will mount up with wings like eagles. (laughs) And I'm telling you, But can can I tell you truly what the problem is? It's that in many churches, there's not strong enough leadership to bring correction to things that truly are wrong or off. And you can do it in love. You can do it in a way that doesn't humiliate a person. Now, I'm not saying that what my my uncle did, you know, that guy was probably demon possessed. If not, I mean, I'm 99% sure. That when you have those eyes with the backpack and the eagle feather, things are not right inside. But I'm talking about, you know, if somebody genuinely, you know, stands to maybe give a word of prophecy or something, and you can tell it was completely off, completely off. They said things in their prophecy that contradict the scripture, you know, whatever it might be. And you can tell it's completely off. A pastor, a good pastor that's worth his salt will be able to lovingly stand in the pulpit because the word was given publicly, so people heard it, meaning it needs to be corrected publicly. So pastor can stand, and in love, he can give correction to what word came forth. Say, so, well, we know what the Bible says. The Bible says this, this, and this, and God's not going to contradict his word by a word from the Holy Spirit and can just bring correction. But pastors, in many places, I've seen it, they're not willing to, to bring that correction. And so, as a result, anything and everything goes on in their churches. And you say, I wonder why no one's coming. I wonder why no one is coming. I wonder why people aren't being saved. Maybe it's the uh, woman in the front in a full spandex cat outfit with six flags in a golf bag that she brought in from the back that's waving them and dancing around doing, uh, you know, Yoga and slapping people in the side of the head with their flag. Maybe that's a reason that people aren't worshiping intently but watching this woman. And there's no correction given. Nobody's ever pulled Sister Cheryl to the side and said, uh, if you're going to do that, do it in the back or do it somewhere else where you're not in front of the entire church, taking everyone's focus off of Jesus and putting it on you. And a pastor truly worth his salt would just say, stop doing that. Just stop doing it. And you can tell when people have a desire for attention, or if it's pride, or if it's something that's truly the Holy Ghost. But we have this, in America, we don't want to offend people, and it stems from that, uh, it's, it stems from that seeker-sensitive church movement, that we don't want to offend people. Why not? In fact, let me say this. You can't stop people from being offended. Because, and I I thought this was excellent to bring it back, to, to, to give a credit to Pastor Stephen Furtick. He preached something one time that I thought was excellent on this subject. He said, there's a difference between committing an offense and being offended, which is absolutely true. Someone can do something to me. They can commit an offense against me, but I can still choose not to be offended. So The point that I'm making is you can't stop people from being offended. You can literally do everything by the book. And I'm talking about the Bible. You can walk in love. You can bring correction the right way. You can do it in love. You can do it with gentleness and respect, as the Bible says. And they'll still get offended. So you did everything you were supposed to do, and they still were offended. So my point being, you actually can't stop people from being offended. If they want to be offended, they will be. And so we've got this whole setup where we don't want to offend people. They'll be offended whether you want it or not. And that, by the way, is a litmus test to show you if somebody's heart and their spirit was truly right in worship. Because if that lady with, with the spandex outfit and the six flags was truly doing it as unto the Lord and she truly just wanted to worship her Savior with a humble heart, a meek heart, then if her spiritual leader gave her correction, she would humbly and meekly accept the correction and make the changes, not get offended, throw her flags back in the golf bag and storm out of the church to the parking lot. That shows you that's a litmus test. If somebody's heart is truly right before the Lord, or they just wanted attention and they're filled with pride. So We need to get this thing out of our mind. We don't want to offend anybody. Well, good. Don't walk in a spirit of pride. Don't be harsh with people. Walk in love. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. But don't expect people to never be offended because they'll just choose to be offended. I've seen people get offended over stuff that wasn't even there. It didn't even happen. But in their mind, it happened. And now they're mad and they're leaving the church. And pastor's thinking like, what in the world? I don't even know what they're talking about. And they're offended. So we need to get that out of our minds. you know. With And we need to start judging some of this stuff. And I'm speaking to spiritual leaders and pastors. Don't be afraid to judge this stuff. Don't be afraid to bring correction to these things. Well, you know, I don't want them to leave and go to another church. It might be the biggest blessing that ever happened to your congregation that they went and left and went to another church. You might see souls flood in. Because Sister Cheryl's not waving her B.O. all over the sanctuary with her six prophetic flags. It actually might be a great blessing to your church. You don't know, but bring correction. If everyone in the worship service is just watching a person, that shows you it's not of God. God's not going to take the attention off of the Spirit and off of the Lord to put it on some person's fleshly uh, and carnal manifestations. So you got to bring correction, but this whole weirdness has been lumped in to Pentecostal charismatics because it's apparently the only place these people can find a home. And so that we're all lumped in together. We're all lumped in together and it's not the case. Don't put me in the same category as sister Cheryl, because I'm not in the same category. You'll never, I'm just going to make a pledge. To all of, my, all of the Victory Tribe. I'm going to make a vow to you today. You're never going to see me in a spandex outfit. Waving flags in any church service. It'll never happen. I'm making you a promise on this day. If you could reach through the camera. I would even pinky promise. You'll never see it. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. And so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you got people. Now here's the deal. If I was a pastor, if I had, there was a lady in a church that I I know, she was nuts, like absolutely nuts. And she was walking around the church sanctuary during the service, laying hands on women and prophesying, you're to come into my women's ministry now. Like she didn't even lead the women's ministry at the church she was attending at all. She was just a nutty lady who didn't brush her teeth. She'd walk up to women in the church during the service, during the worship service, laying hands on. them. You're supposed to be a part of my worship service now. I've, or my women's ministry. I've just pulled you into my women's ministry. It's like, dude, at that point, ushers should be able to tell her, please stop laying hands on people during the service. If you've got people in the hallways and in the lobby that are always pulling people to the side and giving them prophetic words, and I'm for the prophetic, but. People don't correct these things, and that's how people get all, you know, every time there's a new, a new visitor, you got, you know, somebody going, I've got a word for you, brother. Like, Let the ministry come from the man of God that's in the church. I, I, don't, I don't understand why people don't get this, but weirdness. There's weird Pentecostals, and I, and I would venture to say that many of them are not truly Pentecostal or charismatic, they're just weirdos who have somehow found a home in a church that doesn't bring correction. And so you've got denominational Pentecostals, you've got doctrinally off Pentecostals, you've got weirdo, out on the fringe somewhere, who knows, in space, Pentecostals. And finally, the Pentecostals that you should be. People that are not, number one, this is number four. (laughs) Just call it normal Pentecostals if you want at this point. But we're not just denominational. We don't just believe it in writing. We practice it. We practice it. We believe in being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We speak with other tongues. We're not just open to the move of God. We're pursuing it. We're seeking God's Spirit in our services and in our personal lives. We study the Word of God. We we adhere to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. We believe what the Bible teaches. I don't need another... uh, type of writing to define what I believe. And I don't need one to get excited over my Christianity. I don't need to go read the book of Enoch. I don't need to go read the apocryphal gospels. I don't need to read the apocryphal New Testament or old to get excited about what God has said and done. I don't need to. There's a reason God didn't inspire it. There's a reason it's not in our Bible. There's nothing missing. There's nothing in this Bible at all That we say, well, we missed out. They forgot to put this book in the Bible. They forgot, they tried to hide this book from us. There's nothing like that. What we have is what we have. And it's what the early church had. It's what the uh, first century church had. It's what we've had. These are the things that we've, you can tell. You know how you can tell? The the other things that are not in the Bible, they were never read in church services. They were never copied and passed down manuscripts. They, They were never used. The church didn't recognize them, the church didn't use them. They knew it wasn't from God. And this, what we have is from God. It's from God. We have more attestation to the New Testament documents than any other writing in the history of the world. In the history of the world. It's a miracle, this Bible. It's a miracle, especially this New Testament. It's mind-blowing. And the reason I don't mean that the New Testament is more supernatural than the old, I mean it's more supernatural that we have it intact. And the reason I say that is because the Jews had their own community for years and years and years, their own religion, their own groups, their own families, their own nation, and they kept the Old Testament documents and they kept them very securely. But the New Testament was written in times of persecution where they were killing Christians all around the world. But still, these documents were being copied and passed and traveled and church to church to church. And I mean, the fact that we have these in the midst of 300 years of persecution, that they survived, not just survived, that so many of them survived, that now we have more evidence of the New Testament than any other written work in the history of the world. Think about that for a minute. What we have is from God and he truly preserved his word. He truly preserved his word. And that's why we're going to be getting into this stuff on the studies that I'm getting ready to do in this Bible study course. If you missed that announcement these last two days, I'm telling you, don't miss March 28th. We're opening the registration for for this course on how to study the Bible and how to improve your Bible study. And it's going to be an ongoing course where I'm gonna teach you the principles of how to study the Bible, then I'm gonna personally lead you through types of Bible studies. Word studies, doctrinal studies, character studies, book studies. You know, we're gonna go through all of these different things. And um, I know I'm missing one, but I I can't remember what it was. Book, character, word, doctrinal, topical. Thank you. Topical studies. And we're gonna do it, man. And and, and it's gonna be powerful. It's gonna increase... uh, your your bible study ability, your understanding of scripture. Why? So that you can know what sound doctrine is. You know, many churches don't preach doctrine anymore. And for many years, some of you that grew up in church will remember, many churches had adult bible studies or, or not bible studies, Sunday school, adult Sunday school. You would go to Sunday school before the worship service. But Sunday school was where adults learned All of the things they needed to learn about Bible study and topical study and doctrine, all that stuff. It was in Sunday school. It wasn't just for kids. There was adult Sunday school. And they've done away with that. And now many churches don't teach doctrine and Christians don't know what they believe. That's why this is going to help you so much. This new course in Miracle Word University on how to study the Bible, how to improve your Bible study drastically, drastically. And I'm gonna take you through every tool you need. I'm gonna give you free resources that are gonna help you as well. And then I'm gonna let you see the tools that I use. I'm gonna show you uh, like my screen on my laptop or iPad. All these things are gonna be available to you. You're gonna see how to use the tools. I'll show you free tools, the best free tools to use. All these, all these different things. And you'll come out on another level. You'll come out on another level. So, the, right, and we'll give you more information as, it, as we get closer. But registration opens March 28th, and, and, and it's not going to open again uh, probably either fall or into the new year, maybe into the new year. So it, I want the reason I'm, I'm closing registration, we all need to move through this together as a group. And we're going to have a private Facebook group that's open for those that are in the course. We can contact each other. We can talk about it. We can discuss these things. All, the, all this stuff, it's going to be extremely helpful. And uh, I've never released anything like this, but you need to be a part of it. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, Karen, it's only gonna be like $15 a month or something like that. We haven't finalized it, but it's approximately probably about $15 a month. And I'm gonna tell you, it's gonna be far more helpful to you than Netflix. I can tell you that. So you don't wanna miss it. It's gonna be awesome. Um, We have to have sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. We don't need all of these other things Uh, in order to get excited about the Bible or what God has already said. We don't need any of that. We are, (laughs) and here's the other thing. Why, Why do people, and I'll finish with this, why do people seek a manifestation that's not even in the Bible? Now I'm dealing with the weird group again. Why are we seeking manifestations that are not even in the Bible? You know what's more exciting than gold dust being found on your hands or head. You know what's more exciting than feathers floating down from the ceiling? You know what's more exciting than the, I can smell the Rose of Sharon in the building right now. You know what's more exciting than that? You know what's more exciting than gemstones? Is someone actually getting healed. That's more exciting. You know what's more exciting than all those things? Someone actually getting delivered from addiction. Demon possession, right? You know what's more exciting than all those things? People getting saved at the altar. You know what's far more exciting than all those things? Somebody being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Far more exciting. You know what's more, I'm going to give you one that people don't talk about. You know what's far more exciting than all those things? Is a new Christian being successfully discipled. That right there is far more exciting to me than somebody seeing gold dust or a gemstone. A Christian being successfully discipled. That's exciting. You know what that means? We're taking them from babies to full maturity to where they don't need to be spoon-fed milk. Now they can eat the meat of the word and they're not easily offended and they're not mad when correction comes and they can disciple other believers. That's exciting that right there is exciting. And we get all pumped up on stuff that you can't even find in the scripture. (laughs) You can't even find it in the scripture. And people are all pumped up about it. Did you smell that? Did you smell that? It's the rose of Sharon. It's the lily of the valley. I smelled it. Why are we, what's going on with that? Why are, it's because people's carnal nature gets involved, fleshly nature, and they want their flesh to be pleased rather than just seeing what we saw in the Bible. These things haven't changed. They're not gone. They're available today and we should be pursuing them and seeking them. And so I want to encourage you, those three things. So what, what type of Pentecostal should I be? One that is not just one in, in denomination or thought process, in practice, Number two, one that has sound doctrine that knows how to study the Bible and believe the Bible and live by the Bible. And number three, somebody that's not carried off by every wind of weird doctrine, by every weird manifestation, that always needs something weird and out of this world to feel satisfied as a Christian. No, no. Somebody that's very happy and very satisfied to see biblical Manifestations of God's power, salvations, baptisms in the Holy Spirit, discipleship, healings, deliverances. You see what I mean? That's what we need, and we and I, that's why I'm so thankful for you. I thank God for every one of you that are a part of this ministry because I know you'd be gone if you didn't believe in this stuff. You'd be already out of here if you, I can't believe he's talking like that. You, you already are here and stay here because this is what you want. This is how you want to live and this is what you are. So I thank God for you more than you know. I love seeing you in every one of the revivals. I love seeing you uh, as God's presence is being manifested. I love seeing you get touched. I love seeing you praise. I love seeing you dance and shout. I love seeing you get blessed and get a word from the Holy Spirit. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love you. And I want to pray for you today. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you for every one of these faithful people. Thank you for their hunger for the word of God. Thank you for their hunger for the spirit of God. Lord, I ask you that you would strengthen them in this new year to not only, uh, do what you've called them to do, but to stand for what is true and not to back down or bow their knee to the spirit of this world. Lord, I pray in regards to what we taught today, I pray, Lord, that you would give us a hunger to see your presence manifested all the time, not just in church, in our lives, in our homes, with our children, and let us seek your presence and pursue your presence in Jesus' name, Lord, Give us a hunger for your word. Do not let us ever be carried away by every wind of doctrine. Do not let us be carried away by the foolishness that's going on in the church during this final moments of time. But let us have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of our understanding. And let us quickly recognize false doctrine. And to live by what your word says. Lord, never let us become weird. Never let us get so dissatisfied with your holy word, with your spirit, that we have to seek manifestations that aren't even listed in the Bible, that we have to seek things that are being done by carnality and carnal men in order to feel satisfied. Get that out of us, Lord. Burn it out by your spirit in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you that this is our year of divine possession. We will hold what we've never held. We'll do what we've never done. We'll go where we've never gone in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you And we give you all praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I believe it. I receive it. I hope you do. Put some fire up. Put some hands up. And let me encourage you to sow your seed today. You know how to do it. Um, There's the information on the screen, miracleword.com. I believe that in the month of February, we're calling it 28 days of glory. 28 days. And what are we believing God for? We're believing God that in less time, He will do more for us than in months that have more days, more time. That this would be a month filled with God's glory. And if you don't remember me saying this, coming up uh, at the end of this month, on the 28th, that's a Monday night, February the 28th, um, we're going to be doing a special broadcast as we end these 28 days of glory It's at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 p.m. on Monday the 28th, and we're going to be uh, praying for you. We're going to be giving God thanks and praise for what He has done. Again, we're going to receive communion together. It's going to be an awesome night. Don't miss that. February the 28th, 9 p.m. That's a Monday night as we finish this month and cross over into what God's going to do in March. It's going to be a great night. And so I want to encourage you. I believe God is speaking to people. The reason I believe it is because I've been praying for it because what we're getting ready to do in this year is gonna be greater than anything we've ever done and I believe God is already speaking to people to partner with this ministry. People that have never partnered with this ministry before and God's already talking to you. So if he is, I want you to go to miracleword.com, click on the partner page, take a look at all we're doing and take a step of faith and partner with me and Carolyn and the team as we're doing the most we've ever done, touching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've already partnered with us, but you feel to sow a seed of faith. Do it by faith and watch what God will do. You can use any digital avenue to give. They're all listed on the website as well. This month of February, for those that are partnering, we're sending Dr. Murdoch's book to you, 31 Reasons People Do Not Receive Their Financial Harvest. This will open your eyes. Many people don't understand this subject because churches don't teach on it very often, on giving, receiving financial blessing. But Dr. Murdoch wrote this book and it has, uh, really insightful stuff from the Holy Spirit on reasons that you might be missing out on what God has planned for you. It opened my eyes. This is our gift to you. Uh, again, we found out there's some issues with Dr. Sumrall's books, uh, getting the, the copyrights and the rights to distribute them. So did we ever figure out what we're going to do instead of that book this month? Or no, we didn't. Yeah, Dr. Summerall, that, that miracles don't just happen. Uh, there's some kind of an issue. So uh, they're figuring out distribution rights. So we'll get something else to you. But for those that are sowing $1,000 or more, we're going to give you Dr. Murdoch's book plus whatever other one we're, we're looking, looking at and this Net Bible Full Notes edition, which is one of my favorite things ever. I just sent one of these to my uncle. I love it. It's, it's so in-depth. 60,000 translator's notes, manuscript notes, scriptural notes. This thing is full of insight behind the scenes. Any serious Bible student should have this uh, in their library. And this will be one of the things I'm referring to in the class coming up starting next month. Thank you to everybody that's standing with us. I love you guys so very much. Um, again, don't forget that next week, is Signs and Wonders Camp Meeting. Starts on Tuesday at 7 p.m. at night, and then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 10.30 in the morning, and 7 p.m. at night, and then Sunday morning, 10 a.m. My father will be here, Bishop Rick Thomas. Uh, The band is coming. It's gonna be phenomenal. Awesome Signs and Wonders Camp Meeting. Every year it's powerful. If you can get here for it, I would love to see you. It would be great to have you. I love you very much. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you again in the morning. Be blessed. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.